0: Welcome to The Perfect Blend, the podcast where we pair the books we read with a delicious cup of tea. I'm Shelley Haskell, and I'm Candy Beaker.
1: Hello. Wow, hello.
0: I'm starting my break. Today was my first day of vacation. Happy Easter break. That's right. I enjoy break all the time. Just saying. Clink. Here we go. Clink. Clink. Uh, mm-mm. what
1: do you mm-mm,
0: what's in that cup oh i can't
1: tell you yet so we gotta talk about the book first
0: la, 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 la.
1: shelly's gonna tell us about the book <laughs> and then candy's gonna tell you about her teeth <laughs>
0: Today, our book is one of our favorites. I think it was one of our favorites. I, this is my second read. I don't know if it was your first read or second read, but he's one of our favorite guys. Uh, Neverwhere by Neil Gaiman, my literary heartthrob. I love him. I, love I him do for so many I reasons.
1: started off knowing him as a children's author. Mm-hmm. Graveyard book, Coraline, Odd and the Frost Giants. Mm-hmm. So many great books. And then we went to see him. Thanks to you. You invited me on that little road trip and we actually got to hear him talk and he was amazing.
0: Yep. And then I
1: listened to American gods
0: going back and forth to work and I was just enthralled everything he does. Well, his storytelling ability is only suppressed by listening to him do his storytelling, right? Yes. Like you can enjoy his books just fine. I mean, I always enjoy them, but I have spent so much time with his voice in my head as well that I'm so grateful because his voice will always read his books to me. I have, you know, captured it in my mind forever. I just love it. He's the best storyteller. He is. And his
1: website is fascinating. I mean, he he shares the notes for the writing that he does. I love I love to read how he writes his books. His process. His process to me is fascinating. I always think that's fascinating. I mean, I dove deep into that with Ray Bradbury and mm-hmm. I still think about him in the mornings, but his routine versus my morning routine. <laughs> But that's a whole nother story. Give a little background on why we love him so.
0: Well, I love him for so many reasons. I really tried to cut down what I wanted to say because I could go on and on, right? But Mm. I wanted to mention that he was a journalist when he first got started. He went into comics and he's most known for The Sandman was his big comic that he did. He worked for DC Comics, the Dark Vertigo side of DC Comics. And he also did a little bit with Marvel. His first novel was actually a combination, a dual effort with Terry Pratchett, which Good Omens, I know you've read that one. If, If you haven't, with a girl.
1: (laughs) It's so short to read it, list. It,
0: you could read that in a day. It's short, but it is great, great, great. Well, this was his first actual solo novel. He was writing the miniseries. And so he, for BBC, and he wrote this as the miniseries. But then he also, they ended up writing a novelization of, of it and they released it together. And then he didn't like the book very much all the way and he changed it and he changed it again. So the book has kind of diverged from the series.
1: In the book, it's something about, they would cut things out of the miniseries that he felt mm-hmm. were important. And he finally got to the point where he'd say, that's fine. Just cut it. I'm going to put it in the book. I'm just going to put it in the book. And the director was like, don't say it again. (laughs) So that was his way of, I guess, releasing. It's not my end thought and the way I see it. It's not going to happen in this mini series, but there's so much more to this. I can put it in the book. I can make it
0: That's true. I think all of his writings seem to be multimedia adaptable. It all can go into different types of visual formats. He loves visual formats format type imagery. You got the comic series. Some of great illustrators want to take on his books to be challenged to create the visual images around it. His writing goes hand in hand with visual media as well. And and I think he's okay with that each media has its own limitations and its own wheelhouse of things that that can go on in it. And I think he lets those people who are in charge of his stories get on with it in the way that works for them. I know that's true about Sandman because Sandman was such a great Comic book series and had such a long following before any of this ever came up, like Good Omens or Neverwhere or any of that. He just lets the medium of the media take over the story and lets the people who can deal with it, work with it, work their magic with it too. And he's pretty free-handed with that, I think. He's just amazing. Hmm.
1: So now, since we read this wonderful story called Neverwhere, mm-hmm. and then I realized I had the perfect tea for this. I have insane cinnamon orange because honestly insanity happening in this book the the main character is on the brink of becoming insane and I could not think of a better tea it's from the tea chemist I got it when I was in Texas the cinnamon and the orange is so strong and then the taste of it is oh my god it's so good well uh, I
0: probably had this before because this is one of my favorite go-to teas but it's lady lavender and I grabbed it it's the lady door and I thought about the teas that they would be having in the London below. Lady Lavender is from the Tea Spot and it is a lavender and vanilla with orange peel and other citruses. And it's a great scented tea that kind of mellows you out a little bit because this is an insane and kind of story. So you need a little bit of calmness going on through there. And I, and I thought about Dora and all her abilities to stay within herself and her powers of calmness and keeping Richard sort of on track through all of his, their adventures. So it was a really good, it's my, it's really one of my favorite teas. I drink it a lot.
1: <laughs> I love this one. It's very intense flavor. The cinnamon stays with you. It's insane flavor. It's just so good. It's like eating cinnamon Red Hots. Yeah. That, that is the that best is way exactly I right. to describe it. Yep. I was trying
0: to think, what is this like? It, that's what it reminds me of, cinnamon Red Hots. I know when you said that, I remember now exactly that that is true. It has been a while since I drank it. We both want to thank you for giving us a listen. We would love it if you would leave comments or book suggestions and leave a 5-star review on Apple or Spotify if you enjoy your time with us. Yes, that would be wonderful
1: because we would like to hear what you what books you want to hear about and what teas we pair them with.
0: You know, you've heard of the London Underground, but have you ever heard of London Below? Neverwhere is Gaiman's urban fantasy where every day, little Richard Mayhew does a kind deed and a kind deed never goes unpunished, right? Right. <laughs> and he finds himself opening a door to a dark and mysterious world called London Below. And it's a timeless world filled with Gaiman's whimsical and dark characters that feel mm-hmm. mythical and familiar. It's like a hero's journey into sort of like Neverland in a way, because you definitely got an Alice in Wonderland feel to this well it's an urban fantasy so it's a little bit darker dirtier Mm -hmm. very gritty Mm -hmm. very gritty and very funny so many funny weird things right Uh, yes
1: I got the pretty one the author's preferred text and that has the Mm -hmm. illustrations by Chris Riddell yep Chris Riddell and they're amazing the sketches just fascinating Uh, really
0: capture the characters (laughs) Uh, this reminds me of something that you would do on your any book that you like because I could see you sketching and doodling around a book if you were so inclined not to, to mm-hmm. look at a book so sacrosanct and, and doodle on it because this is some of the things I've seen you do on your other notebooks just doodling characters and things so <laughs> I like how it is it looks like the author or the illustrator is just doodling along and coming around and here's what he's picturing and yes um, it's almost like the characters want to mm-hmm. be seen in
1: the writing yes I like that. it's like here I you know I'm here and even if you're just seeing bits and snatches of people and characters and creatures it's enough If you get a copy of this, get the author's preferred text with illustrations Mm -hmm. by Chris Riddell because it's gorgeous.
0: It is. He has his own books that he illustrates too. Got one coming from thrift books because of this. I want to sit down with a sketchbook and I want to
1: practice because everything he does, it's all pencil. It's all pencil sketches Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they're amazing. And it fits with that London below, that Mm -hmm. gritty, dark atmosphere. Yeah. I really, you know what this book reminded me of? It reminded me of The Hobbit. Oh, really? Because Richard Mayhew, our main character, (laughs) he goes along with whatever people buffet him. He just goes that way. He really doesn't have a thought about where he wants to go where he's going with his life. He just wants to kind of be left alone. He do not want to be bothered. The Hobbit didn't want to be bothered. He loved his life the way it was. And Richard Mayhew may not have loved his life, but he accepted it for the way it was. He was just going to go along with it, whatever happened. And they both got thrown into a dangerous quest. And it takes them to all these dangerous places. And he has to do all these things that are above and beyond his skill set. And everybody knows it. The dwarves knew it with The Hobbit. Mm -hmm. Bilbo Baggins, they made fun of him all the time. And they thought he was worthless. Mm -hmm. And then everybody that Richard follows who below tells him he's not going to make it i mean you're not going to be here tomorrow you're not going to be here in
0: an hour so don't worry about it you know it's just they do the hero's journey the hero's journey the fool to the hero unwitting hero kind of thing all of those tropes are in there and he is literally a person who I feel in in London above is going through the motions of what a successful happy life is supposed to be mm-hmm. but he feels completely alienated in this world in many ways he yeah. he does do whatever his fiance jessica tells him to do or whatever his boss tells him to do and he doesn't stand up for himself in any way really he tries to think that he's doing the right thing but he's sort of a doormat type of a yep. character and he's in a successful position i mean he he's not downtrodden that way he's he's successful in all of this and he seems to have at least one friend who likes him <laughs> mm-hmm. and he just exists he just exists. He's a, like a Walter Mitty kind of guy, you know, like there's, you know, there's gotta be more going on somewhere and it's just not here kind of a thing.
1: Mm-hmm. And then he does really an act of defiance to his fiance and he does something totally out of character and he helps someone. And in doing that up ends his entire life.
0: Well, the poor girl was laying there bleeding and then he had already stopped to help one other person give money or something. The old woman and Jessica was like, we, we give to charity and you know, I do my donations. We don't need to help everybody as we walk along the street. Mm-hmm. And they were late for some meeting. Well, they're late for boss. boss that he's totally flubbed up. <laughs> All of his, all of his missteps, the anxiety of his missteps of that day really got to me. I really felt very anxious about the, not having the reservation and just all of these important things. It really got to me It literally made me nervous. And then, then this situation and, and it's like, he could not pass by somebody who was bleeding, laying on the street. (laughs) there's that part of if we're looking at social commentary here too there's this this bustling business person who's just got their life going on and doesn't want to stop for anybody or anything Jessica as Mm -hmm. some capitalistic whatever and then Richard's ability to see the everyday person or see the homeless see the downtrodden and it shows you that maybe he is being in the successful level of business in some way maybe he's alienated because he doesn't really fit that mold either like on that level of like he could have been a social worker maybe and he might have been happier or something more humanitarian in nature than what he ended up doing because he felt maybe he was riding to be a success in somebody else's eyes i mean obviously jessica's trying to push him in all different directions but yeah he's moldable
1: mm -hmm. she can mold him and push him and (laughs) spindle mutilate and fold him into the husband that she wants What? Because he's pliable like that. He just kind of goes along with it. And this one time it's all of a sudden, it's very important to him that he not just call 999 and step over this woman and let somebody else handle it. He couldn't leave her there.
0: No. But when we were talking about Jessica and how multiple she thought Richard was, I remember, you know, he had, he collected trolls. (laughs) The little trolls from the 70s. 70s. (laughs) But she was so impressed with Stockton and his collection of angels. And she says, all great men are great collectors or something like that. (laughs) She pictures him as like, oh, he is on his way to be some great. Because he too has weird collections. Yeah. All great men collect things in parentheses,
1: but not trolls. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I will guide you in what you can collect, Richard, and tell you what is okay. It
0: was funny. Oh my God. It was funny. She just relieved that she broke up with him. Well, she broke up with him right there, basically, because she was like, If you can't, you know, we've got this meeting or we've got, you've got to go with me. And if you help this woman, I'm, our engagement's off. But she threw that up in his face, I think, every day, just about probably. whatever, probably whatever he wasn't doing that she wanted him to do. Yeah. She was like, She was a piece know. of work. But he could not do that. He had to help her up. And he. And we're introduced up... to these two
1: scary characters, right? And they were scary. Just like he said, mm-hmm. they were the kind that you did and beg for mercy because you knew they you weren't going to get it
0: <laughs> yeah i mean you could think Ugh. of some, some mafia kind of guys or some yeah. thugs or the wraiths from the. <laughs> the wraith. ah. they were, okay we're talking about vandemar and croup so it's mr vandemar and mr croup and they are the reason door ends up in London above let's just say she was getting mm-hmm. away but when they come to Richard's house to try to collect her and they come with some I don't know but what they said is like no we're not the police but they are very scary but also the dry wit about them yes. about their caricature type style they're big and dumb and uh, yes and then also the crafty fox kind of style and the big dumb galoot kind of the guy wolf. yeah they reminded me of Mr. Kidd and Mr. Went
1: from Diamonds Are Forever, the James Bond movie. There's Mr. Kidd and Mr. Went, and they're going around killing all these people. And they are always telling these really dry jokes and things. And so I I immediately, as soon as they started their rapport, I was just, oh my God, that's Mr. Kidd and Mr there you go have you, you haven't seen it have you
0: i've watched a lot of james bond so i'm i just don't know if i've seen that or not diamonds are forever they are croup and Van vandemar. vandemar
1: they're the human version uh. because
0: you know that
1: croup and vandemar
0: are not human no they're kind of eternal
1: yes they're
0: mm-hmm. Ah, very scary. So Richard ends up in London Below. And we have Mr. Mr. Vandemar and the Marquis Mar- de Carabas. Yes. Hunter. Mm-hmm. Mm. And the whole purpose of this quest is Or wants to find
1: out who killed her parents.
0: Yes. While it she's also
1: with- being pursued.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And he wants to get, I don't know if I want to tell too much about what happens to Richard, his experiences between London Below and London Above. So that's something very interesting that you'll have to figure out figure out if you read the book because there's Spears? so many things I that happen to him I, I know but it's just you know what i mean and
1: like bilbo mm-hmm. he is put into situations way over his head and through dumb luck through whatever reason he ends up being a help to them nobody thinks he's ever gonna make it and they think he's stupid because he has you know he has no idea about london below <laughs> <laughs> He's asking uh, questions I would want to know. And they, you know, they treat him like, why don't you know this? You stupid. You're not going to make it. Just shut up. You're going to be dead in an hour. And he just reminded me of Bilbo Baggins.
0: I concur. You're right. London Below is a dystopian kind of timeless, maybe time bubble-ish type of a place where things are pieces of ephemera through the ages have gotten trapped or lost or just deposited there. There is still maps and streets that are that followed the London. In places but you are possibly in a second dimension and these things are not exact like there's this the floating market is a great example of well one just a great crazy market of some <laughs> from all kinds of it's like a medieval market in a way Mm -hmm. where there's lots of bartering and trading but anyway it's conflating because it takes place in different places throughout london below but the first one is in harrods it's like you could imagine the background of the harrods shopping department store and also this medieval kind of minstrels and trips of markets kind of like set up inside that building so the, the facades of things of modern day london are there and also certain things that have kind of hung out from past times and they just explain it as as a time bubble i like the idea that you know there's still some some roman soldiers still camped out waiting (laughs) to be called back by Caesar.
1: (laughs) and he does such a great job i mean he is big on mythology and i really had to go back and read some things but he just brings up all of these things it's like how do you know all this stuff all the writing that you do everything that you do you had to do so much reading he brings up all this mythology all of these things and he just has this vast universe of knowledge and he just weaves it into the story so that you're getting some mythology you're getting some roman history you're getting some greek you're getting stuff about atlantis anything about atlantis i'm just geeking out
0: one of the things that I liked about, well, we went digging. There's treasure troves throughout everything that he does. so seriously. If you are liking to get into it like that, this I night, this I night, you you pulled yes, up the dirge, right? I did. I, I, I was reading what you had, what you had added about the dirge. And so that was interesting. You'll The you lightweight have... dirge poem. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to link it
1: in the description because that gives a really good description of the history behind it.
0: Mm-hmm. And then we had the Marquita Carabas. The greatest thing about that little piece of info is in the story, the Marquis de Carabas, whoever he was originally, chose to be the Marquis de Carabas based mm-hmm. on a line from fairy tales. So I looked it up and it's the original Puss in the Boot story. Mm-hmm. So I found that great version from the Smithsonian that, that you will link on there too of the of the story. The original 1600s, I think. And Puss in the Boots actually creates a character called the Marquis de Carabas for his master. Right. So he becomes the Marquis de Carabas because he kind of fools the king into believing this anyway it's just a great story it's so cute and so the donning of the boots and the coats and the fop hat kind of thing and Mm -hmm. and the marquee grabs all of he's almost like puss in the boots garb a swashbuckler kind of yes, thing exactly. and he's just a great character he looks fabulous in my mind somewhere between a Johnny Depp and a I don't know a Puss in the Boots or something it's just crazy I just love it I love the fact that I got to dig into that a little bit and then when I was looking at some of the illustrations for the Marquis de Carabas mm-hmm. it had that had that picture of the sketch of the original sketch of Puss in Boots from that 16th century story so I was like oh man I found the I found the little Easter egg yeah that smithsonian
1: the smithsonian site if you want to find books from 16 1700s 1800s they are such an excellent resource our book last week i went back and researched the a a study book. The... yeah mm-hmm. that that was from there too mm-hmm. and so when, when i saw that you'd gone to smithsonian i was like wow we've used them for a resource for two books now
0: yeah and i love it because you could just download the book and look at some right. of the app samples the actual primary sources there and read it and i enjoyed it so much so The two characters,
1: we we, you mentioned Hunter, but we haven't talked about her. I thought she was a very intriguing character. She is the bodyguard for Dor Mm -hmm. to keep her safe in the underground in London below while she's on her quest.
0: Yep. She has a dual purpose. She has her own reasons for being there as well. But there is also a great beast. There's a great beast and there's an angel, but neither of them actually have anything to do with each other so much. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right, <laughs> but they are happening in this story. And Richard dreams about this beast mm-hmm. throughout. I know it's hard, right? Mm-hmm. She's tr- she's stopping her- herself a little bit. You guys are gonna love it. Yep,
1: the beast keeps coming up as it's like foreshadowing of. Something that you know that's going to come later on, and it just keeps building and building throughout the story as Richard's going through London Below, and and all these things are happening. Another thing that we we're just talking about Hunter having dual purposes for being the bodyguard, barter and trade, favor for favor. Mm-hmm. You know, everything is done with the giving of a favor, and you pay that favor back. That is a part and parcel of being in London Below, no matter what you're known as, because Marquis de of us didn't seem like he was very trustworthy just saying but if you gave your word that you owed a favor then you did that you paid that favor back
0: kind of an honor among thieves yes code of honor
1: that was throughout the whole thing they did that and it didn't matter who you were or what kind of person you were you had a favor you stuck by it and you repaid that
0: favor there were so many different characters but subspecies of groups of people different kinds of people groups of people in this thing in this story so there was the rats and the rat speakers there was the sewage people.
1: <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. There's the
0: mushroom people. There's all these interesting oh, yeah. people. And that's where I get all that whimsy and whimsical stuff. I, I can just. I would not say whimsy for all well, of these
1: people. Not they whimsy. Were...
0: And like the, you might have had a really creepier vision of it. I had much more of a uh, wonderland vision of some of it, even though it was muck and mud. And I just had not a wonderland in like a fairy tale sense, but maybe in a, mm, I don't know, just in an absurd way, like absurd sense of, whimsy artistic whimsy okay that's how I see it definitely interesting characters Mm -hmm. very interesting so who was your favorite character (laughs) Hmm. since we're talking Um, about characters (laughs) I think Angel Islington was one of my favorite characters because he's just dualistic I guess I liked him really I don't Uh, think he was I'm not saying he was the best character in the story I'm just saying he was one of my favorite characters
1: it was very captivating yes very captivating and you wondered about a story. I actually looked to see if there was actually an Angel Islington but there was there's a well
0: is a place it's a place it's a place so it's a place angel islington is a suburb of london and then angel is the area but there's also like an angel building mm-hmm. and, and it's been many things right a pub mm-hmm. and things like that so there's an area in islington that's called angel and he just loves to do play on words like that right he does and
1: everything in london below is a play on something in london above mm-hmm. who's your favorite character who is my favorite character? No. Oh, well, I liked Richard, but I don't think he was my favorite. I guess if I had to say my favorite I could say my favorite part of the book is when they go okay. to the, the monastery, I think. One section that stood out to me
0: because what happens? And there's a lot of deep discussion in that about yes. life yes. and purpose and, and the the meaning of everything kinds of things that they were looking into, I guess, a little bit.
1: I guess the whole thing is just such a great fairy tale kind of story. It's Mm -hmm. this epic fairy tale. And you were talking about the whimsy of the characters, unnerving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's the word that came to mind. Very unnerving. The mushroom people, the the rats, all the different London Below characters (laughs) mixed in with all the history little time bubbles that are in there that you're getting a glimpse of this or getting a glimpse of that, of something that actually happened or is tied into London Above.
0: I think overall, Damon does a great job of doing a dreamscape type reality. Yes. Like you can feel like you're in a dream and it feels real. It's an imaginary kind of place that feels so dreamlike, so odd things can happen. And do you just roll with it? Just these really weird juxtapositions of things. I think that in itself is just a great part of the story and his writing too. But this story is like, you can accept all of these impossible things at once, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's well worth reading.
0: It's just a good sit
1: down and enjoy a great story and, and have all these fantastical things happen and not pleasant things happen. <laughs> but fantastical things happen. You start to feel the grime and you feel the despair that Richard has for where he is. And all he did was try to help somebody and he gets pulled into this. And some of the characters that are in here, they talk about some of the people who are in London below are people who fell through the cracks. Mind the gap. Yes, mind the gap. But you have those people who just float along and get lost and you think about that, the way he writes about these people who are lost or lost in the cracks. Mm. And it's just, oh, wow. Well, I will look at people differently when I'm walking somewhere now.
0: <laughs> As we all should, for sure. We mm-hmm. should We should realize that, that everybody has their own unique story and that at any given time on our own individual timeline, we don't know what the next page might be. We might be the person <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> for whatever various reasons could be in, a, in a London below or London above. It, it's not given that it's going to be one way or the other it could be changeable in yes. each and every one of our lives so and I your think perspective
1: mm-hmm. of people and not automatically judging them by what you see and anesthesia who was a guide for richard mm-hmm. the little girl she is a prime example she's mm-hmm. the one that slipped through the cracks and ended up there and somebody who was parentless hungry and didn't have anybody and instead of oh she's a ugly little street urchin where's her mama she needs to go she needs to get a bath she needs to you know Mm -hmm. give her some food or help her out it just you can't i know you can't help out everybody to have some humanity for people and not understanding their struggle but to have humanity for them instead of judging them that really was brought home to
0: me in this i think that's a good thing to take away from this for sure
1: this is just lots of good things
0: well, we can talk about this book all day and anything about Neil Gaiman. So, we're going to meet
1: later on this week and we're going to keep talking about this right. because we'll they talking just, about it. <laughs> right. And this guy, he knows so much. He's just this vast knowledge about myths and folklore. And he's amazing. It, it's just he a really great author. I'm going to read Good Omens. I put that on my list. And, Everybody should read it. It's so much yeah. fun. See, we're still talking about the book. I'm sorry. We're supposed to. We're supposed to be wrapping up. <laughs> okay,
0: we could really talk about this book all day, but we know you have things to do. Like I don't know, drink tea, drink tea, uh, read some mythology, watch Neverwhere. Oh, oh yes. yeah, go to a museum. I want to go to a museum. I do too.
1: We should go to a museum
0: next week. We'll be exploring another fairy tale motif, a fractured fairy tale kind of twist on the Cinderella story called "The Shadow in the Glass." And it's by J.J. A. Harwood. I'm looking forward to this book.
1: I've just done a little pixie glimpse.
0: Yes, I'm excited about this one. It's a very interesting grown-up version of Cinderella. It's it's not your children's tale. Let's just say that. Ooh, (laughs) that's
1: good. I like it. I like it a lot. All right, we'll be back next week. Same tea time, same tea channel. You can find us on Instagram at The Perfect Blend underscore SC, our Facebook page, The Perfect Blend, our website, The Perfect blendcom and of course, all of your usual podcast channels. Until next time, read and sip on.